the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And he's here to say good afternoon. Welcome. It's a Wednesday. We're here on the sixth day of October, in case you weren't keeping track. Just about five minutes after 5 p.m., and I welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Here today, as we are each and every day, Monday through Friday from 5 until 7, to address issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Coming up a little bit later on tonight, Brian Johnston with the National Right to Life Committee is going to... uh, check in. There is um, a couple of interesting pieces of news today. There's been some testimony on Capitol Hill in relationship to the uh, Texas abortion law that's getting uh, quite controversial and heated. And then there is a new bit of news entitled 10 Funding that you need to be aware of. We'll talk about all that coming up later on tonight with Brian Johnston with the National Right to Life Committee. Remember the old song? You might be too young for this, but there was a tune that had the lyrics, black is white, day is night, bad is good, good is bad. Let's call the whole thing off, shall we? (laughs) That seems to be where we're at today, and it's interesting because truth can be a funny thing. While not always valued by others, it is most certainly, truth is, valued and favored by God and our hopes of ensuing some wholesome relationships. We might be clever enough to fool other people, God or even ourselves, but little do we know the ultimate consequences of our attempts to deceive reality. However painful or awkward the truth may be, it is truly, pun intended, our only opportunity to create harmony and receive God's grace. The Bible reminds us, in fact, that the power of truth quite frequently is uh, uh, important and, of course, it would be wise to follow truth. But these days, truth seems to be, as I suggested before, um, not only up for sale to the highest bidder, but seems to almost uh, um, succumb to modern day situational ethics, reaching the point where there seems as if there's only one truth and that there is no truth, or at least some purveyors of same would say. There's some new research out. In fact, research has been conducted over the past uh, probably decade or so by respected polling organizations like Pew Research, Barna Group, and others that shed some insight into not just the shifting of acceptance of truth in society and culture overall, but most alarmingly to see that we're seeing these alarming trends taking place amongst believers today, and particularly the new generation of younger believers that wishes to kind of go along with the flow and engage in redefining not just what truth is, but even core definitions like tolerance and what it means for the church. 
We spend some time talking about these issues tonight as Kirby Anderson joins us. Kirby is president of Probe Ministries, the host of the nationally syndicated Point of View radio talk show, also serving as a visiting professor at Dallas Theological Mm -hmm. Seminary, and of course has spoken at universities and seminaries all across the country. And Kirby, thanks so much for carving out some time to be with us tonight. Oh, Craig, thank you for inviting me on the program. It's frightening when we see this shifting sense of uh, what truth is, and there used to be a definition that we clearly all had to kind of grapple with. Now we've reached the point where it's either truth up for grabs, your truth, my truth, they can compose or, or oppose each other, and that doesn't seem to make any difference so long as we believe our truth is the real truth. Who cares what somebody else's says? And, you know, it's one thing for the world in the midst of confusion and deception by the enemy to embrace this. But when it's embraced by the church, when when there's this growing slippery slope um, to redefine not only what the truth of uh, our relationship with God is, but what sin is about, what the consequences of sin are, things of this sort, we begin to realize that there is a, a pretty significant challenge that's facing the church today. I would certainly say so. And, of course, we can go back to that uh particular song that you and I old enough to remember, and back then there were probably a fair number of people that weren't maybe even in the church that still believed in the idea of truth. They probably believed that tolerance meant that you would uh, actually interact with individuals, and even if they would disagree with you, you would say, okay, I should at least tolerate your view. I may disagree with you, but I certainly accept the right of you to say that. Tolerance now has been completely redefined to mean that, no, I need to not only affirm, but maybe even celebrate something that you are saying. And so one of the questions we had in our survey really got down to that question of, should I actually let people know that I affirm as true their religious beliefs and practices? In other words, even if I may disagree with them, should I affirm them? And that's a very different kind of definition of tolerance. And really one of the reasons we did these surveys... As you pointed back, uh, we did one uh, 10 years ago looking at born-again millennials, and now this most recent one looks at everybody because we were following the so-called unaffiliated as well, the so-called nuns, the people that would actually list atheist, agnostic, or no preference. But we weren't surprised when we saw people outside the Church believe in pluralism or in this uh, new definition of tolerance. But what is so disturbing, Craig, is we have seen a higher percentage of those inside the church, especially when we look at the so-called Generation Y, which would be your millennials, or Generation Z, sometimes called the iGen generation. And so this is sort of a call to action and a requirement for those of us that are in church leadership, whether you're a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, small group leader, just even a parent, uh, to really help uh, young people think about the reality of truth, which of course is based upon God's Word. You used a key word there, uh, maybe on purpose, perhaps by accident, Kirby, but I think it's a vital one, and that is thinking. And I wonder if part of this paradigm shift that we're seeing inside the church is a slow erosion of critical thinking skills. Um, it, it might be laziness at certain levels. It also might be the notion that we've gone from, in many respects, institutes of higher learning that have shifted from teaching young people how to think to instead teaching them what to think that seems to almost be along the lines of indoctrination. Is that potentially part of the problem here, this, this erosion of belief in a single truth? 
And I think that is indeed the case. I mean, first of all, that idea of critical thinking. I've even had people come on my radio show talk about critical thinking, and one of the themes really this year of 2021 has been the word discernment. I find myself using that word discernment all the time. So part of that is due, as you said, to the fact that people are coming to their conclusions emotionally rather than critically. It also has to do with the fact that the kind of the prevailing philosophy, if I can use a big word, is what's called postmodernism. The idea that you have your truth and maybe your producer has a different truth and your engineer has another truth and somebody out on the street has a different one and there's no absolute truth. And we noticed even 10 years ago when we did some of these initial surveys that there was a complete erosion of truth. And when we started talking about that, we had people, for example, saying, well, your survey is, is kind of interesting, but I think it's a one-off. And we said, no, wait a minute. We've, matter of fact, my, one of my colleagues who's done an analysis of this, this uh, whole survey said, no, if we go back and we even wrote a book about it and look at the Pew surveys, the Barna surveys, the General Social Service surveys, uh, surveys by LifeWay, and everything, they're all saying the same thing if you get down to the core issue. And so if you're looking for a watershed, where is it that in some cases the younger generation varies or strays from Orthodox Christianity, one of those steps down the other side of the watershed is on this issue of absolute truth, that they believe that truth is somewhat relative, it's pluralistic. One of the other questions we found, a good number of born-again Christians agreed with the statement that Muhammad, Buddha, and Jesus are all valid ways to God. Well, okay, once you start agreeing with that, you may know John 14:6 that says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But when it comes to answering those questions, you still have kind of a tolerance, pluralistic kind of philosophy about the world, and that is not something you want to have to build the next generation of Christian leaders, Christian missionaries, and even Christian broadcasters. Exactly right. And not only does that impact uh, the, the ability of the church to be the church, to do what the church has been called to do, uh, at multiple layers, both in terms of outreach, evangelism, and service, but then I've got to believe that there's there has to be an impact um, in, in broader society where if, if suddenly, you know, truth is cheap, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's on sale today. Uh, it can be whatever you wish to define it as. Uh, not only do we see that threatening the ability of the evangel to to move and to change lives, but my goodness, if 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 the core values that that direct our faith are are suddenly up for grabs, then is it any wonder that we see in the society around us a failure of the church to be that, if not the light, certainly the salt? So then suddenly, well, is it is it right to commit murder or is it not right to commit murder? And 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 if if everybody has their own truth, my goodness, then Kirby, do we reach a point where we can say, well, it may not be proper or appropriate for me to take another's life, but that's entirely up to you. I mean, wow. Now we're talking about looking at not just the disintegration of the impact of the church, but the possibility of the entire society falling apart at the seams. I would think so. You know, I was born in Berkeley, California, so I understand the culture in which you're speaking right now. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. 
But even then, you had this, even in the uh, non-Christian world, an idea that there were certain things that were true and certain things that were false, certain things that were right and certain things that are not. And I'm, you know, quite frankly, you know, I don't want to um, go into a courtroom where some of the jury doesn't believe in absolute truth. I don't want to drive up 101 and uh, try to navigate around people that don't believe in truth. I don't want to live in a culture in that regard. And so I think it's going to be really key, not only inside the church, but as we speak to the non-Christian world, to make the compelling case for why you really have to acknowledge that something becomes true. Uh, this idea that everybody has their own view of truth, no, that doesn't work very well. You can't uh, come up with that for a very long period of time. You can't live a society in that regard. And so there is a real need, first of all, within the Church to reassess this idea of a biblical view of tolerance. And that's why I even use the word now, civility because tolerance has been so redefined. But civility is still the idea that I treat another person as I would like to be treated, the golden rule. But we need to talk about tolerance. We need to talk about truth. There are some real application points that come to, first of all, how the Church speaks to the members, and then that certainly is in ministry. But then how do we speak to the world in terms of mission? Because we really don't want to live in a culture where everybody does what they think is right in their own eyes, if I can purifies a phrase of Scripture, because that is actually anarchy, and it's not the way in which to actually have a civilized society. Well, and you're touching on a key point that I want to um, explore with you in depth after the break, and that is this notion that um, even though there might be a vacuum of truth in terms of uh, one's own personal or an intellectual acknowledgement of same, the unwillingness to admit or to acknowledge truth does have consequences. And and even that notion of suggesting that, well, we can all have varying truths, and in that process, we're just demonstrating ourselves to be tolerant and seeing the slippery slope down which that has taken us. Well, if you take, for example, the individual who says, I don't believe in gravity. Well, I guess we can tolerate that and say, well, you're entitled to your own opinion, but if we don't stand up and acknowledge the fact that there is a truth surrounding gravity, and that same individual who proclaims his lack of belief in gravity decides to take a step off the top floor of a building, well, the likelihood is he's going to crash to a very uncomfortable death, because whether or not you believe in certain truths... Um, they remain constant and inseparable from reality. And part of the warning here is the fact that we head into not just, you know, intellectual give and take and debate, you're conservative, I'm liberal, somebody's Democrat, the other one's Republican, this one's Buddhist, the other one is an evangelical Christian, somebody is an agnostic. Fine. But there are certain truths that are non-negotiable. And I think the problem is we're suddenly moving into an arena in American culture and society today where even the non-negotiable truths are suddenly being, quote-unquote, negotiated. We're visiting today with Kirby Anderson, president of Probe Ministries, host of the nationally syndicated Point of View talk radio program. We're talking about a shift, not only in acknowledgement of what truth is, but beginning to see that even young believers, those inside the church, are redefining tolerance and, as a result, impacting the way the church engages in a lost and dying world. I'm Craig Roberts. A timeout. Back to more of our conversation with Kirby Anderson as Lifeline continues. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our conversation with Kirby Anderson tonight, president of Probe Ministries. By the way, some of the research that we're talking about this evening available online at probe.org. That's P-R-O-B-E, probe.org. And um, Kirby, this whole notion of, well, let's be more tolerant and seeing this paradigm shift from what used to essentially mean that we were going to grant in a pluralistic society that others have the right to think other ways, do other things that we don't necessarily agree with, but still assert the power of the truth of our own belief, but recognize that, again, in in that pluralistic society, there's room for differing opinions. Instead, it seems to suggest that well, that means that we go and we not only acknowledge another's uh, varying viewpoints, but but give credence to them. Uh, the notion that that suddenly we we have to affirm them to the point of saying, "Oh yeah, that can be right as well." Uh, all of a sudden, we've kind of put on its on its head the notion of the old saying, "Well, we agree to disagree." We're suddenly, well, we disagree to agree. <laughs> and the problem with all of that is, as you said just a minute ago, people have different opinions. Everybody has a right to their own opinion, but they don't have a right to their own facts. And I say that so often on the show, because you end up with individuals that say, well, this is what I feel. And so I'm glad you feel that, babe. That's not necessarily correlating with data that we have. And so there is a sense in which tolerance has been redefined, um, and it's kind of like in the uh, movie Princess Bride, where at one point he says, you know, you keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. And tolerance today is uh, used to, first of all, force everybody into conformity and to say that they not only affirm but celebrate it, but then the flip side of that is known as the cancel culture, which simply says, if you disagree, then you don't have a platform. And, of course, a good book that years ago kind of made that case is the book Coddling of the American Mind. And I've had Jonathan um, write on the program in which we've talked about the fact that there's this mindset that says, I believe that what I say is true, and used to be, well, I believe this true, and you maybe are false, or you are wrong, but instead now it's going to be you are evil. So this tolerance thing cuts only one direction. First of all, it's forcing, I think, because of the redefinition of tolerance, to tell more and more young people who think that, well, if I'm a Christian, I've got to be tolerant, because that's what the culture wants, and I guess Christians are supposed to be tolerant, so I should affirm any kind of behavior, any kind of statement, and not do any kind of correction of that. And that's, of course, what we're finding out with uh, the Generation Y, so-called Millennial Generation, and even more so Generation Z, because they're kind of the first digital natives. They have never lived in a world where there was not an iPad or an iPhone. And when you look at the Kaiser Family Foundation surveys that have been done over the last couple of years, they say the average young person today probably spends about 10 hours a day in front of a screen. It could be a cell phone, it could be a, a computer screen, a movie screen, a video screen, whatever. And if you had 10 hours a day, multiply that by seven days a week, that's 70 hours. And then you've got to counteract that with a 45-minute sermon on Sunday, or maybe even more of a devotional from the youth group. 
you kind of figure out real quickly, uh, Craig, who wins. Yeah. Why we sort of have faced the problem we're dealing with today. You're, you're up against insurmountable odds. And as you were saying that, Kirby, I was thinking to myself, can you imagine how different our world would look today if instead of 10 hours a day screen time, they spent 10 hours a day in Scripture? Or even oh, 10 yeah. hours a day in the library, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, 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 and I, I want to come back to something you said because I think it's a, a very critical point that needs to be underscored, and that is that in, in our sense of being, uh, you know, applying the new definition to tolerance, I think that some Christians um, are under the false conclusion that we are therefore being loving. And yet I have to wonder, and I go back to my example before the break, if you have a person that says, well, I don't happen to believe in gravity, and I think I can fly, well, we would, you know, say to that person, well, you're entitled to believe that, but denying of truth has consequences. And what is loving about endorsing somebody's differing truth, showing your tolerance, and then... As you watch them walk off the ledge of the building, you know what the consequences are going to be. You know this is going to end bad. Is it really loving to stick by your guns and say, well, in all circumstances, we're all entitled to our own truth. It would be unloving and unchristian of me to be critical, and therefore I must acknowledge and and, and somehow endorse that, even though in the back of our own heart and mind we know that the minute they take a step off that ledge, it's going to end very badly. So is part of this really a false dichotomy that we think we're being loving when, in fact, we're doing just the opposite? I would certainly agree. And again, uh, don't we see in the Scriptures that we are to speak the truth in love? And yet there is kind of this philosophy, what I call non-judgmentalism. And um, I speak a fair amount to youth groups, and we have a mind games camp that we do every year, and Summit Ministries does things to prepare kids. But I have found that when I speak to young people, the most quoted verse used to be John 3.16. I'll tell you right now, Craig, the most quoted verse is uh, Matthew 7.1. Judge not that you may not be judged. And they take this verse out of context because they seem to imply from that that Jesus is saying that you're never supposed to make a moral judgment. Then I just take him to a couple of verses later and say, you know, he refers to them as pigs and dogs. And he does. And the point is not that he says you're not supposed to make moral judgments. Matter of fact, the Bible is full of examples of where we're told to have a sound mind, we're supposed to make moral judgments, we're supposed to have discernment, a word I used just a few minutes ago. And so there is this kind of mindset that if I'm a good Christian, I won't judge anybody. I will never get involved in any kind of controversy. I'll never suggest that maybe that would be dangerous behavior that you might not want to pursue. But really, the most loving thing you can do is to prevent people from, as your example, walking off a ledge because they don't believe in gravity or get involved in all sorts of sexual activity or any kind of other kind of dangerous activity, drugs or whatever, and never warn them about the dangers. A loving person would warn them and would recognize that tolerance does not demand that I never say anything about the potential dangers people might actually incur because of decisions that they've made that are false. Well, and in fact, Scripture goes as far as to say, even in terms of of judgment, uh, to test the spirits and see if they be of God. Even at that point, when you think, well, I think this is of God, no, test the spirit. Use that discernment. Measure that against Scripture to draw a conclusion. And, you know, for for the loving person who says, oh, yes, I believe in the authority of Scripture, um, I believe in, in God, 
and in all the fundamentals of the faith, and then to say that you're being loving by being tolerant, knowing that, and this really comes down to the core of the discussion as it relates to the responsibility of Christians to be both salt, as we were discussing, as well as light, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul, our neighbor as ourselves, and of course, to then be about the master's business by engaging in that great commission to share the good news. Well, where is it tolerant to look the other way and say, well, I'm just going to let that person have their their own truth, their own opinion, knowing that they're heading off, not just off a cliff, but they're heading into an eternity without God. Is it really loving to just look at the other way and say, well, that's their choice? Yes. Well, again, if you go to, as you mentioned a minute ago, our website, probe.org, some people might say, you know, I've got a young person right now saying, well, you have your truth and I have my truth, or how do I witness to somebody in my business about that? We're really primarily a worldview and apologetics ministry, but we've gotten into these surveys because we recognize we need to understand what the key issues are. So if you find yourself saying, I'm looking for help on how to answer some of these questions that my kids or grandkids are asking, or how to engage in evangelism, I don't know how to answer some of those questions, that's another resource there in addition to the surveys, because we recognize that we are, to use a phrase that I use in some of my PowerPoint presentations, we're facing truth decay, and it's really important for us to know how to answer some of those questions and some of those cliches that are being used to really change the society in a way that is not helpful for the future of our civilization. Boy, I like that. In fact, I might even steal that. (laughs) (laughs) You are welcome. Okay. When I use it, I'll say, copyright 2021 Kirby Anderson. Uh, Yes, we are indeed suffering uh, truth decay, and just much like tooth decay has its consequences so too does truth decay. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Kirby Anderson, president of Probe Ministries, with us today. Information again on the web at probe.org. That's P-R-O-B-E, probe.org. A timeout back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking about some recent research that really underscores what we've suspected for a long time, and that is with each passing year, there is further and further erosion of many of the, the fundamentals, the pillars of the faith when it comes to belief of truth. Is there a God? Who is God? Who is Jesus Christ? Um, the relationship between mankind and God, etc. Well, uh, what we're beginning now to understand is that younger generations of, of people today um, are not only attending church less and less often, less engaged with Scripture, um, fewer percentile of born-again believers engaging in things regularly like uh, tithing or sharing their faith with others. Um, and, and if that isn't disturbing enough to see, too, that the truth, the veracity of Scripture Um, is beginning to uh, slowly erode as well, to the point where we redefine what tolerance is, and suddenly even the compulsion to share our faith with others and and acknowledge the need in a loving fashion in doing so um, is is really at risk today. And you have to wonder what all of this says in terms of the, the future health of the church. We're visiting with Kirby Anderson, president of Probe Ministries. He's a nationally syndicated talk show host, currently a visiting professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Information available, again, on the web at probe.org. That's probe.org. 
And Kirby, as we try to digest all the ramifications of this, um, it, it really comes back to a sense, I wonder, of if some of the failure is, uh, what should we call it, a biblical illiteracy today, that we find not only a willingness to sort of negotiate the truth, but more and more individuals who might be able to tell you what they believe, but haven't got a clue why they believe that. Is that problematic in your mind? I think so, because one of the things that we do, Craig, is a mind games conference and a camp that we do. Of course, Summit Ministries does this, and there's some worldview ministries. And in every one of those cases, oftentimes what we do is start out by asking some questions. And oftentimes in our own camp, we'll bring an individual in who's actually one of our speakers, but the students don't know that, and he's introduced as an atheist professor. And I noticed Sean McDowell recently did the same thing at one of his events, and he starts asking these questions. Well, Craig, you know, we ask them, you know, are you Christian? Yeah, okay, why are you Christian? And they give some, some kind of cliche answer. Then he starts asking a second question. Pretty soon he asks another question. And all of a sudden I look up and all the students are looking at their shoes because they might be able to give the Christian cliche, but they don't know really how to defend their Christian faith. They don't really know why they believe. And in some respects it's just been the faith of their parents that they've never really encapsulated. And then we take them back into, you know, how would you answer some of those questions, and what would you say? And I've done this sometimes, even with adult audiences, and look in the back of the room, and the parents are all saying, I hope you don't call on me, because I can't answer them either. So obviously there is a need for us to know our Bible, and this uh, gets to an application point. On many of these interviews, we've said, if you're a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a small group leader, you need to really have some basics. You know, you need the essential gospel. You need to have the essentials that are occasionally communicated. We're going into the World Series right now. We're going to be watching the San Francisco Giants and everything else. But you know what? They had spring training before they started playing, of course, baseball. You know, we have the NFL season right now, but they also had summer before they did. And there's a sense in which what is happening is, is sometimes we have these feel-good messages or we maybe talk about a particular passage of Scripture, but we really aren't preparing our congregation to be able to address some of those questions out there in the world. And it's even more chronic sometimes when I see these youth groups, because, again, I know we have to make youth groups a lot of fun. And, Craig, I can't count the number of times I've had a pie put in my face, or I've had to put on a one of those surgical masks and blow them up, you know, all the games that we do in youth, and that's fine. But there is a sense in which we need to start thinking about youth group is like boot camp to prepare kids for the world. And when they have such low levels of biblical literacy, and when some of these basic questions like, um, who is God? Was Jesus uh, actually, did he live a sinless life? Do you believe the Bible is God's word? I mean, you would think that those would be assumptions that you could make in a typical church. They are not. And so one of the other application points we make is, you know, if you're a pastor in the pulpit, or if you're a Sunday school teacher we're in front of the a podium, you may be unfortunately assume that the people in your congregation, the people in your Sunday school class, have the same orthodox view that you do. And the reality is sometimes they don't, and we've done surveys enough to actually show that there will be a lot of people who maybe are serving in the church, they're saved in their heart, they've actually had a commitment to Jesus Christ, they're maybe even growing in their faith, but they're not thinking biblically in their heads. 
And that's why we need to come back and work on that if we're going to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. There's two wonderful scriptures that come to mind that just really uh, underscore this in a beautiful way. Uh, One of them is 2 Timothy 2 and 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I love that. And the other is 1 Peter 3.15 that tells us to sanctify the Lord in our hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that lies within. And wow, both of those two passages really ought to be quickened to our hearts in acknowledgement and recognition that, as you said, this is not a game. You know, a lot about life can be fun and enjoyable, and we want you to go to church on Sunday and and have an enjoyable time and be uplifted and exhorted and encouraged, but also recognize that it's boot camp and it's training and preparation uh, not only for the life here and after, but for this life now and for the lives that we touch all around us. And Kirby, you've really helped to underscore some realities, some truths today that we are very appreciative of. And I hope that listeners will take all of this, not just to heart, but also take action. More information available again on the web at probe.org. That's probe.org. Our thanks to Kirby Anderson, president of Probe Ministries, host of the nationally syndicated Point of View radio program, for being with us today on this radio program we call Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Bit of news out on Monday. Didn't get much fanfare, but you need to take note of this, that federally funded health care providers will once again be allowed to make abortion referrals. This brings to an end the 2019 Trump-era policy that prohibited any clinic that receives federal funds from doing so. As a result, under Title X, health care centers will then, as they continue to receive federal funding, regardless of whether or not they have advised women to end their pregnancies, the new rule is set to take effect early next month. And, of course, all of this against the backdrop of testimony on Capitol Hill in relationship to the recently upheld Texas abortion law. With some insights and an update, we're joined by Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee and host of Life Matters, heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. And this seems, Brian, almost to be a ping-pong ball, meaning that Title X funding, like the Mexico City policy, is an off-again, on-again proposition. It just depends on who happens to be residing at 1600 Pennsylvania. It's shameful. Yes, and particularly because Title X is designed for family planning in particular, but it was specifically prohibited from viewing human abortion as a form of family planning. If someone is, is are you going to get married or not? What are you going to, you know, how many kids do you plan to have? But that's very different from deciding what are you going to do with this kid that you do have now? Are you going to kill it? And that was prohibited at the origin of Title X, but as you know, the, the battle we have in this battle of ideas, and it's very real, and as you mentioned, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez commented at Congress regarding the, the situation with the heartbeat bill. I think it's appropriate to note that Ms. Cortez is a Marxist in her thinking, and we have to understand that this is the only political philosophy, and it's in all of Marx's writing that views 
ending human life in the womb as an essential part of the Marxist progression. It's literally there that the modern feminist radicals who view abortion as an essential part of their worldview, they're adopting Marxism. That's a Marxist predicate because in Marxist thinking, women should not have to feel that they're going to be part of a family and have to be a mother. They must have the freedom to kill their child, to be unpregnant. And that's exactly what you saw assumed in Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's debate with an OBGYN. She literally debated the, the obstetrics gynecologist, the, the woman who was testifying about the heartbeat and development of the child. Ocasio-Cortez says, well, this is unbelievable. <laughs> it's actually objective reality. It describes who all of us are. That's where we came from. And there's a stark difference between the view of law under a Marxist world and the view of law in the American founders. We found this country, our founders did, on natural law, on the laws of nature, nature's God, self-evident truths. So that which can be demonstrated, and it's demonstrable, that you and I grew up inside our mom. We were unique individuals. And that's demonstrated in every cell in our body. None of the cells in the child body match the cells in the mother's body. That's a unique human being. And Marxism has to go to war with nature. It has to go to war with human nature and what a human being is. And it is totalitarian. We're seeing it now in so many aspects of life. But pro-life folks need to understand that the, the ideology of being unpregnant because a woman wants to be unpregnant, that's a premise of Marxism. And it's in his writings. And as you know, I wrote about that at length in my book. But we need to understand this is real. This is very real. And these people do not want to engage in objective facts. They're putting out political theory as if it's a reality. And so we have to stand on reality. We have to stand on protecting human lives. That's the purpose of the law. So it's, it's getting more intense, but we need to realize the facts are on our side. You know, what I find particularly troubling about this, and any casual observer to C-SPAN watching testimony on Capitol Hill before any um, House or Senate committee uh, can see a growing trend where individuals are called to Capitol Hill to give testimony, ostensibly to help educate and inform Congress as they shape opinions and, as a result, shape law, and instead find some members of Congress, and sadly, those that tend to know the least do the most talking, who instead take this as an opportunity to get up and grandstand and opine. And it's it's particularly embarrassing in a case like this, where a highly respected physician who has delivered more than 5,000 babies in the course of 30 years, somehow in the mind of AOC, knows far less about women's reproduction uh, than she herself, who, yes, both being women, I suppose have more to say on the topic than you or I, um, but I highly, highly doubt that a one-term Congress member um, whose background is tending bar knows more about the topic than a tenured 30-plus year physician in good standing. Yes, and Craig, I, do, I want to remind you, too, I appreciate you, but 
It isn't that somehow this is a women's issue and only AOC and the OBGYN can debate it. This is about human lives. And I would, I would venture that men actually have a responsibility. In fact, in a decent society, a man is defined by how kind and how charitable and whether or not he will defend those that need defense. So it is a responsibility of men to, to point out the facts lovingly. But this isn't somehow just a gender issue because this is about human beings. Half of those children killed are male, and we know that that uh, the laws should not make gender-specific rights. But that's what we're seeing, a, a confused view of what it is to be a human being right now. And again, that's because of the confusion of Marxist thought. But that's being spread in our culture, that, oh, this gender or that gender, or whatever gender you decide to be, we're talking about human rights and human beings. And unless men are willing to speak up, unless men are willing to point out objective facts, we can know I'm, <laughs> we can know the objective facts about where babies come from. We know about the birds and the bees. And we're responsible for that. Men have to be responsible. And that's the bottom line. I think that's what we're seeing with a lot of women. Hey, if, if a man can walk away from the pregnancy, and he can just, and that's what I've seen personally, a lot of times it's the man that gets off the hook. That, you know, Harvey Weinstein was the number one promoter of abortion in Hollywood. Surprise, surprise. I wonder if he ever got a girl pregnant. He was the number one donor to Planned Parenthood. So abortion gets guys off the hook. In fact, guys need to be responsible. Responsibility is what's involved as you mature in life, and all of us are, whether you're going from 16 to 17 or from 60 to 61, you're maturing and you've got responsibilities and you need to make them known and walk in them, both men and women. So we're looking at a critical time in history right now, critical time. I believe Roe will be overturned. And that means that this is going to be an intense battle for our culture. And it isn't just for half of the culture to talk about. It isn't just a woman's issue. This is an issue about how society treats the vulnerable. And yeah, and, and and absolutely to to your point, um, this comes down to issues as you point out aptly, Brian, of objective truth. And and, and interestingly enough, we we'll just spent some time in the earlier portion of tonight's program talking about the erosion of objective truth and the danger that that presents to all of society and the the health and future of not just a, a, a nation but the planet, quite frankly. And uh, these are sometimes uncomfortable truths for uh, those that uh, would embrace abortion on demand and many of these ideas that walk right around objective truth and instead try to supplant truth with a lie. And this is the battle that's enjoined. This is what we have to be fighting against. This is the truth that we need to be actively proclaiming. And as Brian points out, yeah, and and half of the children that have been aborted since 1973 in this country are women, and the other half of the children aborted since 1973 are men. We both have a stake in this. In fact, the future of our nation, the future of our world, has a very critical stake in all of this. 
Brian dives into these issues in much greater detail every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. on Life Matters. I invite you to tune in for that podcast available to other resources by going online to Cal- <coughs> pardon me, CaliforniaProLife.org. That's CaliforniaProLife.org. The program again Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Join Brian Johnston for Life Matters right here on KFAX. Six o'clock exact and precise as we get you a look at some headline news, but as they say in showbiz, but foist, a look at traffic. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.